Thanks for joining us today. If you have any questions, please email us at info at If you would like to support this ministry financially, visit us at capitalchristian.com and click the Give button in the top right corner. Thank you. I turned to Shane and I said, he's sucking up all my time. Stop talking about me. It makes me uncomfortable. Uh, no, it's such an honor. It's, it's, it's a huge honor to um, be in the church that raised you, to get to preach in the church that raised you, to see people that have known you your whole life, use your relationship. We just celebrated Shane's 40th birthday, and we were talking about that. Man, we're really blessed around here because some of us have known each other our whole lives, and we still like each other. That is amazing. I think it's the best place in the world. I love Capital, And it is pressure following up Pastor Jude. I will never have the energy of Pastor Jude when I preach. So just get that out of your head. I will never have um, the intelligence and the wisdom and the church history of Dr. San, even though I'll try. Um, and I will never be the wise leader that Pastor Frank is. But he so inspired me last week because we just know Pastor Frank is such a great teacher who always has points. So today I'm going to give you five points. I never preach with points, but I just felt so encouraged by uh, Pastor Frank. P.S. Pastor Frank wrote his first book when he was 25 years old, and that book was Making of a Leader. And Chris and I were immediately depressed when we heard that. We're like, he wrote that at 25. He turned to me last week and he goes, I didn't have one illustration and one story in that book. And I'm like, don't read my book. It's full of stories. But then he turned to me and goes, because I had none. He was like, I was 25. I didn't have any illustrations, any stories. Anyway, it was such an honor to have all of these amazing people. And I feel pretty honored that I get to stand in the same pulpit. So we're going to get to it. Chris, I like your shirt today. It's like, I feel like you, you should be at the beginning of a race, you know, like you should wave your body. You'll start like the Indiana 500. Is that what it's called? I don't even know. Or if, you, if that doesn't play out, maybe you could lay down and we could play checkers on you. You know? <laughs> I just couldn't help it. Meanwhile, I'm wearing a scarf and it's 96 degrees out, so <laughs> joke's on me. Okay. We are going to get to it today. We're going to have fun and we're going to be challenged and we're going to love Jesus more. And it's going to be the best summer day of our lives. Uh, at least yet, with many more to go. Um, if you like a title, the title of this talk today is going to be When Christians Don't Follow Jesus. When Christians Don't Follow Jesus. It's kind of provocative. I know it doesn't really make sense, but it will. Um, we're going to go right now to Matthew chapter 4, if you'll read with me. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is Jesus in verse 18. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Verse 21, and going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. I just love that. Jesus calls us. Isn't that beautiful? And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Now we're going to go to uh, another gospel. We just looked at the gospel of Matthew. Now we're going to look at a parallel text about the calling of disciples as well. But we're going to see it in Luke's gospel. And we're going to see that it's very different than what we just read in Matthew's gospel. In Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57, it says this. As they were going along the road, someone, nameless person, we don't know their name, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, 
Well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is his response to someone who wants to follow him. To another person, another nameless person who says they want to follow Jesus. Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And yet another person, another nameless person said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Somebody say, when Christians don't follow Jesus. Would you pray with me this morning or this afternoon now? It's the noon hour. Lord, we thank you for today. God, I thank you for the beautiful sunshine. I thank you for the beautiful state of Idaho. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you that it's not an accident that all of us are a part of this community and this church. We're family. God, I thank you for that. I thank you that you are the one that brought us together. And I'm just asking, God, that today you will give us a newer, bigger, and greater perspective of who you are and the mission that you've called us to be a part of. Lord, I thank you that you're calling us. Lord, I pray that today we would hear the calling and we would immediately follow you in the direction that you're going. Lord, let it not be my words, but Lord, let it truly be your words, breathed by the Holy Spirit, that we would hear today and be transformed from the inside out. If you want that, say amen. Amen. Well, uh, I, as many of you know, I grew up here. Um, I am Pastor and Ken and Connie's youngest daughter, Chris's youngest sister, um, Rochelle ties us all together in the middle, you know, kept us all saying she was the one praying in her, she was an intercessor, like praying. And Chris was like playing video games and I was running around talking to everyone. So if you wanted to know our childhood, that's a great picture of it, you know? Um, but we kind of have a great family, grew up in this amazing church. But a few years ago, I, I moved to Los Angeles to help pioneer a campus, um, in Hollywood. And, um, and, and, and I, I discovered something that I needed there that I never needed growing up here in Idaho, which is a navigational system. Are you with me? Do you have these? Do you have one in your car? Do you have one on your phone? Well, when I graduated college, all through college, my mom was so sweet. She let me drive her car. So I didn't own a car um, all, uh, even through college. Mom just let me drive her car. Dad and mom bought Rochelle and I a car to share through high school. I don't know how we survived that. Um, we shared a car, like teenage girls. How did we just, I don't know. Apparently we went all the same places. Um, but then in college, mom let me drive her car. And so I didn't get my own car until I graduated college and I got a job. And it was awesome. Right as I graduated college, I was offered a job in the governor's office. I worked for the state of Idaho. And um, it was time to be an adult. You think you're an adult in college. It's so cute how we think that, right? We think we're grown. You know, it's like, Mom, don't, don't bother me. Mom, did you set up my dentist appointment for this Friday, though? Because I really need that. Wait, who am I kidding? I think I still do that. Mom still sends me reminders. You need to get a doctor's appointment. Oh, you're going to Africa. You need to get your shots. I'm like, thanks, Mom. Um, but in my mind, I think I'm an adult. But it's really funny in college, you think you're an adult, right? And then you graduate college, and you're like, oh, my gosh. This is, this, I'm an adult. I'm a human being. I'm like an active citizen now. Like, I have to, like, not sleep all night. I have to actually get up in the morning and go to work. So I, I get my first job, and I get a car. Well, I go to get my car. Scott wasn't around back in those days to help me. He was probably in junior high with a full beard back then, uh, getting saved. Mark was leading him to the Lord. Um, but we didn't have all our awesome car dealers that are in our church now back then. So I just had to go somewhere and get a car. Well, I didn't take my dad. That was stupid. I didn't take my brother. Not that he would know anything about cars. But I didn't have anyone, you know. 
Uh, <laughs> well, but you do because you have the flag on your shirt. So you do know a lot about cars. <laughs> Once again, the scarf. Can't, you, I, I can't say anything. Okay. So I went by myself and I wanted to get this car. Well, they, you know, they're really good at like telling you like, oh, and this car is great. You know, you could get the basic, you know, car or you can get the car with the tech package, you know? And I was like, tech? This sounds exciting and exhilarating, you know? What, what is the tech package all about? Well, basically it was just like thousands of extra dollars to have a navigation system in your car. Well, this sucker thought it sounded great. And I was like, done, give me that. I live in Boise, Idaho. I've lived here my whole life. I do not need to know where any, any place is. I know all of Boise. It's not that hard. It's growing. People come back like, man, Boise's growing. The streets are still the same. I know how to get around anywhere. I know the back roads. I know. I mean, come on. You grew up in Boise. You do not need a navigational system. And I promise you, and Naftali, who she was a roommate of mine at the time, we joked, I get this car. I get the navigation system. I never needed it. One time we took a road trip to Pasco, is that in Washington, right? The Tri-Cities. You guys, you literally go on two freeways and you're there. Like you don't need it, but we put the address in there because we could, you know? I thought, I'm going to use this. Well, I never used it. Well, when I moved to LA, I moved to Los Angeles. Guess what you need more than ever? You, sweet Jesus, you need a navigation system. So I remember it was the first time I'm put into use, you know, the nap the good old tech package. The tech package came in handy when you get to LA. And even more than that, I remember uh, the Waze, you know, the app Waze is really big. I don't think anyone needs to use it here either, but it'll tell you like there's an accident or there's, you will be on the, you know, the, 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 the one, the 110 for like, you'll be on the 10 or the five. If you want to go to Disneyland, you're going to be sitting on the five for 14 hours. So don't go on the five, you know? So it was really this helpful App. Well, the problem for me with navigation systems is this. I don't understand them very well. Like, it tells me, um, and I feel like she's a little condescending, to be honest, the voice on it, right? She's a little condescending. Like, she's like, turn right in 200 feet. And I'm like, I don't, honestly, I don't know what 200 feet is. I don't know what 200 yards is. I don't even know if those are the same thing. They very well could be. Is it a yard and a foot or a foot and a yard? I don't know. Like inches, yards, numbers mean nothing to me, right? Tell me to turn right at the Chick-fil-A and I gotcha, you know? It's like, but don't tell me 200 feet. So I'm driving. She's like, turn right in 200 feet. Well, inevitably I'm going to miss the 200 feet because I don't know what 200 feet is, you know? And then she's yelling at me and making me feel stupid because she's like, you missed the turn. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. Make a U-turn, you know? And you're like, oh my gosh. And then there are people honking at me because they're not nice in California like they are in Boise. And there are like fingers and hand motions and things I had never seen before growing up here. And they were like really, really intense in LA. And I was just overwhelmed. I'm like, do not. So I would get stressed out even with the navigation system. So I didn't want to know where I needed to turn next. I needed to know play by play. You know, it's like, okay, so I'm going to turn right and then I'm going to turn left and then I need to turn right on what street and then I'm going to go jump off a cliff. Like what's happening? Like I needed the whole destination. Like I'm the type of person that wants to know where I'm going and how I'm going to get there. Don't give me just that one turn. This is kind of how Christians are. We want to know where we're going. We want to know the direction. We want to know where Jesus is taking us. And sometimes the 200 feet turn is just not enough for us. Well, that turn, okay, well, maybe that sounds okay, but what's the turn after that, Lord? 
Where are you going to take me after I turn right? Then where are we going to go? And then what's the turn after that? And then is it, am I going to be on cruise control for a while and it's going to be good? Or is the road going to get pretty bumpy? I I need to prepare for this. This is the problem. This is the challenge for every Christian. In order to become a Jesus follower, you don't get to know the turn by turn. You simply only know the first one. And Jesus invites us. He calls us, as we saw in Matthew's gospel. He calls us to follow him. But many of us have obstacles, and we see this. We're not the only ones. Isn't it always encouraging when you read the Bible and you realize, I'm not the only one who has obstacles? Jesus shows us Matthew, or in Gospel of Matthew, he shows us Peter, he shows us Andrew, he shows us John and James, who made the decision to follow Jesus. They they overcame some obstacles. But then we see these nameless pseudo or potential apostles or disciples in Luke's Gospel. We don't even know their names. Their, their names will never be recorded in Scripture. History will never know who they are. We're never going to know why necessarily they didn't want to follow Jesus, except for they couldn't overcome some obstacles that apparently the disciples of Matthew's gospel that we saw could. There's something significant about that because all of us find ourselves in the same places as all these characters in these, both of these stories. We've been called to follow Jesus. Jesus has called you. Maybe today is your day of calling. Maybe today is the first day you're going to hear it, but you're going to have to overcome. And this is where I'm going to be like, Pastor Frank, I'm going to give you five points. We have to overcome five obstacles. I believe that scripture is highlighted for us in these two, in these two scriptures is that we got to overcome these obstacles if we truly want to follow Jesus. You know, what's interesting about, uh, about the disciples of Matthew is they didn't realize that when they, they decided to follow Jesus, what their future was going to be. They didn't know. They didn't know that, that Peter didn't know he was going to end up being considered. Do you know most people consider him the first pope? Catholics would say Peter's the first pope. He's the foundation of our church. It's, it's Peter in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 2, that preaches the sermon of his life, remember? And then 3,000 souls get saved. Bam, the church starts. Peter is really the foundation of the church. Then we have Andrew, and if it wasn't for Andrew, we wouldn't probably have the gospel spread to Russia, to places in Europe like, like, uh, like Scotland and Greece, and much of, of the world got the gospel because of Andrew. Did Andrew and Peter, did James and John know what they were going to do for Jesus when they said, I'll follow you? Did they know the road that was ahead of them? No. No, they didn't know the road, just like you don't know the road, just like I don't know the road. But for some reason... These four said immediately they're going to follow Jesus. Meanwhile, the others in Luke's gospel have reasons why they can't. I think Peter and Andrew and James and John, they saw crowds. They saw crowds of people. They saw signs and wonders happening when Jesus would preach. I think they saw blind eyes walking into a crowd, being led into a crowd, hearing Jesus preach, and all of a sudden they leave with their sight. I think they saw lame people being carried to Jesus. And then Jesus prays, and they were healed, and they walked out. I think they saw broken people coming to these crowds where Jesus was preaching, and they left whole. They saw the kingdom of heaven invading earth, and they had to be a part of it. They didn't know what the future was. They didn't know what turn they were going to have to do. They didn't know where they, where they were going to end up. They didn't know where Jesus was actually going. And I wonder if sometimes they thought Jesus was a little bit crazy. Do you know, I I think sometimes we don't fully follow Jesus because we think it's a little bit crazy. It probably is. 
I bet they thought Jesus was, maybe this guy's weird, maybe he's a little off, but man, what's happening is undeniable. And it's the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God has invaded earth. And these things are happening and I just have to be a part of it. And they immediately follow Jesus. So why don't we all just immediately follow Jesus? Well, I think many of us, including myself, were like those in Luke's gospel, the unknown, the nameless people who couldn't overcome the obstacles that those in Matthew somehow were able to overcome. And so we're going to go to these points. You excited for points? It's going to be five. If you like to take notes, this is your kind of day. The first obstacle, I believe, that the disciples are or that we have to overcome, if we want to be Jesus followers, we have to overcome these obstacles. And I believe that, that, that Andrew and Peter and James and John were able to do this, at least in this moment. We know they weren't perfect men, right? They had obstacles to come that they had to continue to overcome. But in the immediacy of following Jesus, they were able to overcome these things. And the first one was they weren't obsessed with personal comfort. They weren't obsessed with personal comfort. Well, how do you know this? Well, Luke chapter 9, verse 57 says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Have you ever said this? Jesus, I will, I will go wherever you go. And then Jesus' response in verse 58, if we could pull that up there, or I can read it off my Bible. Verse 58 says, and Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, hey, listen, you probably have a comfortable job. You probably know where your food is coming from all the time. You have a good family. You have a pretty decent life, you know? You're, things are, are comfortable for you. But let me just, from the outset, let me just, let me just paint a picture for you. We might not know where we're sleeping tomorrow night. We might not know where our heads are going to lay, lay down. We might not know where our food is coming from tomorrow. This is, this is the journey of following me. You might not know what the future is. You might not know where you're going to get your food, where you're going to lay your head, what, your, what your, your future vocation is, what your job is going to be. We might not know what kind of crowds. I mean, there's going to be demon-possessed people. We don't know what's going to happen. Some are going to get healed. Some may not. We don't know. So I just want you to know that if you're in this to be comfortable, this might not be the job for you. They were not obsessed with comfort. Jesus' followers cannot be about their comfortability. Is that a word? They cannot be about it. And this is the thing that's difficult for Western-styled Christians. And this is, I'm telling you, every time I preach, let me, I'm preaching to myself. And I think as every time you listen to someone preach, don't think about how this will help your mama. Don't think about how this will help your mom-in-law. Don't think about how this will help your boss or your spouse or your children. Think about how this will help you. Right? But this is the thing is, is they weren't obsessed with comfort. You know what? comfort tells me, and this is the struggle that we have as, as Western style American Christians, is comfort tends to be inherently and intrinsically selfish. When we want to come to church and we want to follow Jesus or we want to do things for God, what tends to be the, on the forefront? Our comfort. Oh, I'm going to, oh, I'll do this. I mean, I'm going to go to that church, you know, because I like the worship most of the time. And I mean, I typically like the preacher, but when I saw Tracy, I was like, mm, I'll sit through it. Rude. <laughs> You're like, well, I'd rather listen to Chris and Pastor Ken. Me too. They're great. It's not about our comfort. I liked song one, song two, song three, really. That was really powerful. But the last song, I don't know. We've sung it a lot. I don't care. Comfortability is intrinsically selfish. 
Because your comfort might not be somebody else's comfort. So if we're all about comfort, then we're really about somebody else's discomfort. No, comfort is not bad. God wants us to live comfortable life. He doesn't want, I mean, God has not called all of us to go live in some tent in the middle of nowhere. He's not asking us to do that. That sounds miserably uncomfortable to me, okay? I've camped like one time in my life. I prefer glamping. And actually, no, I just prefer a resort, you know, with like a spa, a pool, like a workout facility, and like a really good restaurant, okay? I don't need to camp. I'm not into that, you know? But God's not saying, oh, I just want you to be miserable and discomfort. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is if your comfort is more important than following Jesus, no, you can't follow Jesus. Your comfort and your desire to be comfortable cannot be more important than your desire to follow Jesus. Because if you're caring more about, well, where's my food going to come from? And what's my job going to be? And who am I going to marry? And I hope my kids are good. And I hope they turn out good. And If that's all you care about, you've missed the point of following Jesus. You have to just follow him so that Jesus' followers are not obsessed with comfort. The second thing is Jesus' followers, and no one's going to like this one, and we're going to spend the most amount of time on this one, so I'm just getting you prepared. Jesus' followers, they allow correction. They allow correction. Some would say they allow criticism. Did that one hurt more? You want me to go back to correction? Me too. I like correction. It's a little softer. They allow correction. What's Jesus doing? He's correcting traditions. In verse 59, it says of Luke chapter 9, he says, to another he said, follow me. He's telling someone, hey, you can follow me. And, and the response was this, Lord, let me first go bury my father. Next verse, verse 60. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, we will read this and we think, well, wow, that's a little harsh, Jesus. You don't, you, you don't think that, you know, doesn't the Bible say to honor your father and your mother? Why are all of a sudden you saying, you know, just leave the dead to bury their dead when he says he needs to go bury his father? This is what you have to understand. Jesus is correcting a tradition. He's not, let me tell you something. Jesus does not contradict himself. The Bible does not contradict itself. Okay, Jesus is not saying, oh, one part of the Bible we say honor your father and mother, but now I'm like, no, you don't. No, that's not what he's saying. He's correcting a tradition. Earlier this week, I was, um, I had dinner with um, some people in our church, the, some of the Haglers and um, Jen Lee and, and Kayla Crenn and I had dinner with a wonderful family, Syrian family who has moved into the city. And we were having dinner. They invited us over dinner and we we're having dinner with them. And um, the, the woman, the mother's English, is she's working real hard on her English, and it's the cutest thing you've ever, it'd be like me trying to speak Arabic, you know, it'd be ridiculous, no, hers is way better than my attempts, but she's trying to speak English, and so we're having dinner with them, and, and um, we're sitting down at the end, and she takes this, she has this water bottle in her hand, and she takes a drink of it, and she smiles, and she goes, much therpy, <laughs> we looked at her, and we're like, oh no, thirsty, but therapy is good. Maybe we should call it therapy. I mean, I like it. You know, we didn't want her to feel bad because we didn't want to, cor- you know, we didn't want to correct her, you know, her, her second language. But sometimes it's funny. We look at the Bible. Let me tell you something about the Bible. It was not written on this continent, in this century, in your culture or with your language. The Bible was not written to you. It was written for you. But it was not written to you. 
So sometimes when we look at the Bible, we get so frustrated because we're like, well, I just don't understand. Why would Jesus, like, be so rude? He needs to go bury his dad. No, no, no. Jesus is correcting a tradition. In the Jewish culture, the Jewish tradition was this, that you stayed and you waited to bury. The oldest son's responsibility in the Jewish tradition was to wait for his father to die. Then he buried him so he could get the inheritance. Jesus is saying to, to, to these people, no, 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 I'm going to correct this tradition. I am more important than traditions. I am more important than your preferences and your opinions. If you want to follow me, you have to follow me and not traditions. So sometimes we look at the Bible when we don't think about that and we think we're reading it and we're like, much therapy? What does much therapy mean? Because we haven't gotten the context. If I wouldn't have seen my sweet friend holding a water bottle, I would have been like, what in the world does much therapy mean? But she had a water bottle. She took a drink. Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out she was trying to say, I'm really thirsty. This is what it's like when we read the Bible. Jesus comes to correct these traditions. He's not saying dishonor. In fact, when I was studying for this message, I get a call from my mom. My mom calls me or my phone lights up. I'm studying for the message. I spoke actually first at GCD this last week. And my phone rings and I see it's my mom. I'm like, hey, mom. And shout out to all of our police officers or like first responders and people who have to make tough calls. Yeah, give them a hand. They're amazing. But I never, I've never received a call like this before. So I was like, he was phenomenal. I don't even remember the officer's name, but he was like, hi. I, you know, I'm like, hey, mom. And he's like, oh, this is officer, whatever his name was. He goes, I just want you to know you're, I'm with your mom. She's okay. Like, good job, officer, to go immediately. Your mom's okay. She's sitting with me right here. Uh, but she was in a pretty bad accident. Her car is told, and she's going to need you to come pick her up. And, um, you know, I'm studying for, to preach, you know. It's like, I, if I, you know, am reading this, it's like, well, I don't really need to go get my mom. If he doesn't have to bury, you know, if Jesus says, don't let the dead bury the dead. Maybe Connie could get an Uber <laughs> and find her way home. No. You know, I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, mom's going to have to figure it out. I'm busy. Not today, Satan. I'm busy, you know. <laughs> I'm getting ready to preach, and people need to hear the gospel. No, come on. Come on. That's not what Jesus is saying, and certainly that's not what I'm going to do to my sweet mom. I got up, immediately grabbed my keys, left my Bible, got in my car, picked up my mom, spent three hours in the ER with her. Then I left, went home, finished studying. Head down to GCD, thought it was pretty phenomenal. What did you guys think? Was it pretty good? No, I'm just kidding. But come on. It's like we need to understand. If we want to know where Jesus is going, we have to understand what Jesus is saying. And the way you do that is it's going to take a little time and energy to study the Bible, isn't it? That's a whole other message for a whole other time, but let that simmer in your soul. He's correcting a tradition. Sometimes Jesus wants to come and correct some traditions, some opinions. Traditions typically start as opinions. Jesus wants to correct some stuff in us. You know, we hold political opinions, philosophical opinions, religious opinions, just fashion opinions. We hold things so tightly, don't we? And then we hold Jesus really loosely. It's like, oh, but this is my opinion on it. And then this is Jesus over here. Why don't we, let's, let's get something a little bit more in alignment. Why don't we hold on to Jesus like this? And our opinions are like, you know, they're like, they're like the wave of the sea. 
They're like the wind of the air. They're going to blow and change and go every direction. But you know what? I'm going to hold on to this much more tightly. And that is Jesus and where he's going and what he's doing and what he's saying and what he's telling me to do. If we hold on to Jesus, that's what he's saying. He's saying, come on, let the dead bury the dead. Don't hold on to those traditions as much as you hold on to me. So if you want to follow Jesus, what do you have to do? You have to let correction And you know what? Sometimes God uses people to correct us. Sorry. He does. He does it in my life. And you know what scares me is um, a sign of someone who's not willing to follow Jesus is someone who doesn't let any correction in their life. It's a scary and dangerous place to be, actually. If you don't allow correction. And sometimes, this is what I've learned, sometimes correction comes from your least favorite person. And we are like, once again, we're like, not today, Satan. Maybe it's not Satan. Maybe it's Jesus. Iron does sharpen iron. It's not spoons, spooning. What does that even mean? (laughs) Iron sharpens iron. Sometimes correction comes from people we don't want to hear it from. Maybe that's the one we're supposed to. Sila, as it says in Psalms. Chris is laughing at me because I think I said something bad. All right, moving on. He'll tell me later, don't worry. All of lunch, I'll be like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to. Just kidding, he's not like that. Number three, Jesus followers don't have conditions to following Jesus. They don't have conditions. It's not like this. You know, um, fill in the blank to this statement. I'll follow Jesus when, fill in the blank. I'll follow Jesus if, fill in the blank. No, Jesus followers don't have conditions like that. They don't. They give God their whole heart. Not part of it. Not a little bit. Not some of it. Not when it feel like it. Not when my emotions are aligned with the word. (laughs) They just give God all of them. And this is the struggle for many of us. Is we, we We tend to have good days when everything's working out. You know, and our conditions are in alignment to what God is doing. It's like, man, feeling good. We're all in cruise control of our life, you know, following Jesus. Like, this is easy breezy. But as soon as there's a condition, Jesus wants to adjust maybe a bad habit that you've, you know, grown in. You know, maybe you've started in a habit as a young person, and it's just grown and grown and grown. Jesus comes saying, no, I want to I remove that from you. And it's like, well, I don't really want to give you that part of me, Lord. I don't want to give you my hopes and dreams. That, I feel like, is not that bad. So I'm going to hold on to my hopes and dreams. But maybe that's the very thing that God is coming to go. No, give it to me. Just follow me. Go go in the direction that I'm going. And I'm going to give you better hopes and dreams than you could ever hope for or dream of. It's amazing how God does that. But we can't have conditions. You can't say, I will follow you when. I get the success that I want, when I have the marriage I want, when I have the kids that I want, when I retire and I'm comfortable the way that I want. No, no, no. We cannot follow Jesus with conditions. We just follow Jesus. And we give him all that we are. Not just a part of our heart, but the entirety of our heart and our being. What does it say? I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. There's nothing left. You love God with all of who you are. That's what it means to follow Jesus. The fourth thing is this. If you want to follow Jesus, you can't fear the future. You can't fear the future. 
Matthew says this when he, when we see this in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus calls Andrew and Peter, what, what happens? Immediately they follow him, right? Then we see what, is, what happens when Jesus calls James and John. Immediately they follow. Well, we think, well, that's pretty awesome that they do that. You don't think they didn't have to go through the same scenarios and obstacles that those in Luke were probably going through? The difference is those of Luke allowed them to overcome them. Those in Matthew said, I'm just going to follow you. They didn't fear the future. They didn't know what their path was going, where their path was going to lead them. Like I said earlier, they didn't, Peter didn't know he was going to be the foundation of a church. Andrew didn't know what he was going to spread the gospel, what his influence was going to do. James doesn't know. James, John doesn't know what his influence is going to be. They don't know neither the pain nor the glory of the path that they're about to embark on. They didn't fear the future, though. Isn't it great that God doesn't tell us our whole story? Aren't you grateful that you don't get saved and maybe today is the day that you come to know Jesus and I pray it is. It'll be the best beginning or it'll be a journey that you'll never forget. But you don't come to an altar and you accept Jesus in your heart and then he goes, okay, then this is going to happen. As you walk out these doors, then this is going to happen for the next five years. It's going to be pretty easy breezy. You're going to be good. You're going to fill it. But then on the sixth year, you're going to go through something pretty rough. I'm going to need you to hold on. And then it's going to be hell for 10 years. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Can you imagine? I'd be like, I'm out. (laughs) Someone come to my bedside right before I die. (laughs) You know, it's like, that's probably what we don't do. Right? Jesus is so gracious and so sovereign and so good to us. He doesn't tell us what the journey is. He doesn't tell us the turn by turn. He just says, follow me. Don't fear the future. You're going to be good. If he would have told Peter, you were going to be hung upside down, would Peter still immediately follow Jesus? If he told Andrew, you're going to be crucified, would he still have followed Jesus? If he would have told James, you were going to be beheaded one day for preaching the gospel, would James have followed Jesus? We all know John probably would because John just died of old age. So let's all pray for John's ministry, you know? He was not martyred. He died of old age. But even still, would you say yes and immediately follow Jesus if he told you what was in front of you? Probably not. Jesus keeps it mysterious on purpose. Doesn't mean it's bad. Let me tell you something. It's an adventure and it's good. And you got to take risks sometimes. Sometimes life is not so easy, right? But man, following Jesus is good. Following where Jesus is going is full of an adventure, but it's also a part of what God's doing. It's just like when Andrew and Peter and James and John, they saw, they must have seen heaven invading earth, and they had to be a part of it. They didn't fear the future. So they didn't make a decision based on fear. How many times do we make decisions based on fear? Well, this is the best chance I'm going to get, so I'm just going to go with it. Or maybe we don't make a decision because of fear. Oh, well, these are all the obstacles. This could happen and this could happen. It's like we got 99 problems, you know, and your little scenarios is not one of them, right? We've worked up all these narratives in our head. This could happen and then this could happen. So I'm just not, I'm just not going to make a decision. Or we make terrible decisions because of fear. We get in bad relationships, bad jobs. We make bad decisions at work. We make poor decisions with our children and our, and, and our families. We make poor decisions at church. We're like, well, I don't like something, so I'm going to leave this church. Do you know the impact that has on your family? Do you know the impact that it, that has on your soul? 
we don't understand that fear cannot dictate how we make decisions. It cannot. And a Jesus follower does not make decisions based on fear. They trust God. And they look at where he's going, and that's where they're going. So we cannot make decisions based on fear. And the last thing, number five, it's fun. Are you taking notes? It's exciting. Points, you know. The last one is this. They immediately, Jesus' followers, immediately start moving in the direction of Jesus. Immediately, Jesus' followers start moving in the direction of Jesus. If Abel or whoever's playing the piano would come up, that'd be great. You know what marks a Jesus follower? Someone who hears God, obeys him, and starts going where he's going. That's a Jesus follower. They hear God, calls you, you obey it, and you start moving. Jesus followers, by the word alone, followers are following. There's movement. There's action. You know what Jesus followers are not? Standing still. Jesus loves you so much. Listen to this. Listen to this point. Jesus loves you so much. He refuses to leave you where he found you. But guess what? He'll find you wherever you are. That's the beauty. That's grace. He loves you so much, though, he will not leave you where he found you. So here's the problem. In order to follow Jesus... The only way you can follow him is by leaving the place he found you. If you want to follow him, you got to leave. You got to leave. You got to leave that sin. You got to leave that relationship. You got to leave that situation. You got to leave that gossip. You got to leave that cheating and that lying and that pride and that anger. You got to leave to follow Jesus. You have to leave that fear. You have to leave the obsession with comfort. You have to leave the inability to receive correction. You have to leave the place that Jesus finds you. Because when you leave it, you can find Jesus. You can only follow something if you leave something. You can't stand still. You can't sit here all your life. He loves you so much. My God, he loves us. My God, he loves us. Jesus didn't put a son on the cross, didn't put a son on the line for you so you could stay there. He put his son on the cross for you so you could get to where Jesus is going. But you got to leave. You got to leave that stuff. You got to overcome those obstacles. I love how much God cares about us by telling us things we got to correct. You know what a good parent does? They correct their children. I got a lot of correction as a kid because my parents, (laughs) my dad, because they loved me. They loved Chris. Chris got the most. But maybe that meant he was loved the most, probably. He's the oldest, and he had red hair. But (laughs) it's beautiful. God corrects us because he loves us. He wants to adjust things. He wants us to move where he's going. You know, Pastor Paul, Apostle Paul, over 170 times in Scripture, used as in Christ or equivalent of, meaning in him, in Christ Jesus our Lord, or in Christ. He uses it over 170 times in the New Testament. I think that's fascinating. Why is Paul so obsessed with the phrase in Christ? He's just obsessed with it. It's his favorite phrase, I would say. It's probably his favorite phrase. You'll find it 27 times alone in the book of Ephesians, in Christ or its equivalent. In Christ, in him, in Christ Jesus. 
in Romans 8, verse 1, I think we have that if you do. If not, I'm going to have to remember it by heart. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no shame. Romans 8 later on says this. The next one. Nor height, nor depth. He's talking about love. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, a- will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Second Corinthians, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. If you're in Christ, the old has passed away and behold, the new has come. And Ephesians says this, and I love this, the first chapter of Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Just sit there for a second. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing later on in in the same chapter. In him. Remember, it's it's equivalent to in Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of of his grace. And the last verse, it says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, have been, have, having been, been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In him, we have been chosen. In him. Pastor Paul, why does he spend so much time, 170 references to you being in Christ? Because he knows something. If you know that you are in Christ, you have no shame. You have all the blessing. You have all the wisdom. I mean, go and go and read, study the 170 in Christens. I just made that up. Go study them. You will discover this one reality. If you're in Christ, you don't need anything else. You have all you need when you're in Jesus. And so Pastor Paul knows, if you know you're in Jesus, oh man, nothing else will be the center of your life. When you know you have Jesus, you have all the wisdom, you have all the grace, you have all the blessing you need, you have, you have redemption, you have forgiveness, you have everything you need when you know you are in Jesus. And guess what you can do when you're in Jesus? You can overcome any obstacle that'll keep you from following Jesus because you're in Jesus, you're in Christ, you're in him, he's the hope of glory. And this is what Pastor Paul spends so much of his life and energy in doing. He's telling us, you don't need anything else. The great battle of your life is going to be trying to tell you you need something more important than you need Jesus. You can't follow Jesus if something's more important. God can't be at the center if something else is at the center. You can't follow something if you don't leave where you're at. You can't be with Jesus if you want to be with everything else. You can't follow Jesus if comfort is more important and convenience and preference and opinions and traditions fear rule your life. So Paul says this, you are in Christ. You are in him. You are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You can follow me. Let's follow Jesus. We will never have to worry about following Jesus when we get this reality. I'm in Jesus. Of all that I need with him, because I'm in Christ. You know what happens with our life? We get on our path. We get on our road. It might get windy, and I don't know what's up ahead. I don't know if we're going to go down a hill and then up a hill, and I don't know if we're going to go off-roading, or I don't know if this is going to be season of cruise control, and I get to roll the windows down, and the wind's blowing in my hair, and it's so good. And I don't know if the next season's going to be rough, and, and my car's going to break down on the side of the road. I don't know what the road's going to be. But when you choose to follow Jesus, you trust every tr- you trust every turn. You trust every moment that he is with you because you are 
Christ Jesus. Trust him. Give him your whole life, your whole heart. Don't put anything else in front of Jesus. Hold him like this. Hold everything else like this. And we're going to be on mission with Jesus. Amen, church. Would you stand with me as we pray? Thanks for listening to this week's message from Capital Christian. We hope you will stay connected by following us online. To find out more information, visit us at capitalchristian.com. 